We're going to be in Psalm 42 this morning. The word psalm, it simply means melody or song. So the book of Psalms was essentially the hymnal of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, there are hallel or praise psalms. There are some imprecatory psalms where the psalmist is, is crying out about the injustice and crying out against the enemies of Israel. There are psalms of degrees which were sung when ascending up to Jerusalem for feast days. It has been correctly pointed out that every psalm points directly to the Lord Jesus Christ himself or provokes the believer to think of him, which is very, very true. Every book, as we know, in the Word of God is inspired and has been preserved for us, so there isn't one book that is more important than the other, regardless of size, all right? But I do believe that you could make a case, you can make an argument for the book of Psalms being somewhat of the foundation of the Bible itself. And I say that for a few reasons. Number one, the book of Psalms is the longest book in our Bible. For sure. The longest chapter in our Bible is Psalm 119, and exclusively the focus there is what? The Word of God. Very clearly. More than any other Old Testament book, the book of Psalms is quoted more in the New Testament. It's a critical book. Now, this brings us to an immediate takeaway. And you need to get this, and so do I. Listen, if we are to go deeper with God, which ought to be the true desire of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should have a genuine desire to say, God, I want more. I want more of you. Right? It is amazing if you, I think one of the things that, listen, appetites never lie. Appetites tell the truth. What you really desire, who you really desire, speaks volumes about the condition of your heart. What is it that you want more than anything? Who is it that you desire more than anyone? Is it God or not? Appetites never lie. But if we are to go deeper with God, we must spend quality time with Him in the Psalms. You must. If you really want to go deeper, you must spend quality time walking with God in and through the Psalms. The Psalms are in five books. Each book uh, concludes with a doxology of praise. The first book is comprised of the first 41 chapters. We're going to begin today in the second book, which we find ourselves in the first book of the second book, Psalm 42. We're going to spend a few weeks walking through Psalm 23, which is probably the crown jewel of the first book in the Psalms. But our title for today is simply Desperate Situations. Uh, these are situations that overwhelm our human capacities, they overwhelm our resources. These are situations that when we're in them we feel as if we're being swallowed up. They're massive. We come face to face with how frail and weak we are. Listen, I don't care how tough of a person you think you are or how big of a person you think you are, there are situations that you find yourself in where you feel like a dwarf. Where you go, God, that is like Mount Everest to me. 
It's too much. It's too much. And this is the tone of Psalm 42. You see it? To the chief musician, Maskell, for the sons of Korah. So when you see that, to the chief musician, it means that this psalm was intended for him. And it was intended for him because he was going to be leading the worship. And so it was for him to do that. Maskell means instruction or instructing. So this would be a psalm of instruction. In other words, there are some things that we need to learn. There are some things that we need to take away from this psalm. The Psalms of Korah uh, were from Korah in Numbers 16, who escaped the judgment of his rebellion. We looked at this a little bit last Tuesday night, if you were here. Uh, but they would go on to lead worship in the sanctuary. So this gets us to verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I, for many years, I always viewed those opening verses of this great chapter as representative of what the true desire ought to be for every true believer. That you ought to have this burning desire for God, the panting of a heart. This was a red male deer after the water books. It means that there was a longing for water. Gotta have it. I needed to survive. Okay? And the obvious implication is that the heart was very, very thirsty. Now, we always have to remember, if we're talking about thirst, then we're always talking about a cause, right? There's something that causes thirst, okay? In John chapter 4, Jesus is dealing with the Samaritan woman at the well, and she was thirsty for something, right? She had a longing. As it pertains to the physical body, we understand that dehydration is what causes thirst. This is when the level of water in the body gets to a low point where your body's like, listen, you better give me some water or I'm going to die. Critical. Spiritually speaking, the psalmist said in verse 2 that his soul was thirsty for God, but not just for God, but for the living God. Despite the, the abundance of commercials about sports drinks, whether it be Gatorade or Powerade or name your drink, at the end of the day, True medical professionals will tell you that water still reigns king as the ultimate thirst quencher. There is no substitute. And that's the, the idea here is that the psalmist said, I, I've got to have the living God. In other words, I'm not interested in the fake dead gods of man. I need the living God. The real, true, one and only, holy, high Majestic, magnificent, awesome, omnipotent, incredible, sensational God. That's who I got to have. That's my thirst. Now, what we want to do this morning is identify the details of desperate situations. And I believe that just knowing our class and 
where we are in life as a class, I doubt that you need a lengthy explanation about what these situations are. By now, you have been in them. Some of you may be in it right now. And then we're going to examine the desires of the psalmist here, which show us how we ought to respond when we find ourselves in these desperate situations. So let's talk about the details very quickly, and this will be high level, about what's involved, right? What's, what's involved? What, 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 what happens when we are in a situation where we feel like the ground beneath us is about to give and swallow us whole? This mammoth of a trial, this situation that is, I mean, it is my Goliath, okay? Verse 3. The psalmist says, my tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Now, I can't say with certainty that this psalm refers to David. Many believe that it does. I can't solidify that, and that's okay. But what is certain is that he was in a desperate situation. That much is very certain. In desperate situations, they often involve prolonged crying. The psalmist said he cried day and night and that his tears had been his meat or his food. And by now, we've, we've had moments where the moment was, was so grievous, the trial was so hard, and the intensity of it was so large that it took our very appetite away. I didn't want to eat. And we cried so heavily that I've been there. We cried so heavily where the tears are flooding your face and you can taste the salt in your tears. I remember when our first child, Ken, was born and it was discovered that he had a breathing problem and he couldn't come home. Lori was discharged and, and they were running very serious tests. And he spent the first week of his life in the NICU. I didn't want food. I didn't want entertainment. I, I, I just cried and prayed. I remember going into the NICU and walking in and seeing all this equipment hooked up to my son, and I just put my hand on it with tears flooding my face, begging God, please, please move on our behalf for our child. Tough. Desperate situations can involve reproach and attack from others. He says, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Verse 10, as with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? This is where people speak to you and they treat you with contempt. Scorn, even mocking your God. Where is he now? What's your faith doing for you now? I thought you were this big shot believer. I thought your God was so grand and great. And look at you. Been there? Where family members and coworkers or people that are in your circle of life, so to speak, are just giving you the business. Look at your situation. I guess God isn't so great after all. 
Verse 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? He says this also in the second stanza in verse 11 as well. Look at verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Uh, desperate situations can involve depression and inner turmoil. Where I mean you are low. I mean you are base. Bankrupt emotionally. The soul of the psalmist was cast down. That is, his soul was sunk or depressed. It was. His soul was disquieted in him. That is, internally, there was great commotion or war. I mean, there was a rage going on inside of him. He had no rest in his spirit. Verse 7, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Deep, deep calleth unto deep. The analogy is that of the deep sea that is just bringing one trial after another. We would say when it rains, it pours. It was a storm, a tempest right now where it is coming against me. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. He felt overpowered and overwhelmed. I'm drowning. <laughs> I'm outmatched. This is what I'm saying. There have been times in my life, and I'm certain there have been times in yours, if not, I hate to break it to you, it's coming where you feel like, God, I can't take another thing. I can't. I, 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 I can't take another round of bad news. I can't. If this trial, if it goes one more level, I think I'm going to tap out. Desperate situations involve overwhelming circumstances. You feel like you're drowning. You're suffocating. Verse 9, I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? These situations can involve feelings of abandonment. God has forgotten me. I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? David felt this, so did Job. Jesus felt it on the cross, did he not? My God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. God, where'd you go? When you're in these trials, it, the darkness is so dark and so deep. I mean, life goes pitch black to the point where you say, God, where did you go? Where did you go? I can't see you. I can't find you. Where are you? Have you forgotten me? Have you left me? Have you abandoned me? Listen, the lowest moment in any trial is the feeling that God himself has abandoned you. Because if that's true, 
then you really do have a problem, don't you? I mean, if God has left me, if God is no longer with me, if God has forsaken me, I'm done. <laughs> I'm cooked. Now, starting with me, if, if, if all of this is resonating with you, if you have been here, would you raise your hand? I just want to see. Okay, I've, that's about what I thought. So, Kindler would have raised his, but he's typing. So, we'll give him a pass. The psalmist poured his heart out on paper, and he showed us what's involved in these situations, but he, we see his desires as well. He's torn because on one side, you see his humanity, and he's weak, and he's overwhelmed, but despite that, he can't divorce himself from the truth that he knows about God. So now we look at his desires in the time that we have left, and, and, and as we begin to unpack these, it's going to be very, very simple, very clear. Because some of you may be here right now as you're hearing the sound of my voice, but as we begin unpacking these, God is going to equip you, if you're here right now, and what you need to do, but he's also, this is one of the things about God I love, and I, I, I thank him for it. What I have learned is whatever test or trial that you find yourself in, God always gives you the answers in advance. God says, I'm going to give you what you need to be able to pass this test with flying colors. And so if you're saying, well, man, life's going pretty good right now. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I have been there. I'm not there now. That's okay. Just hang on. Because where we're going right now, we're going to give you, it's very, very simple. Let's talk about desires. Verse 1, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Desperate situations should provoke a thirst for God. They should provoke a thirst for God. This is one of the key purposes this is one of the reasons why God allows desperate situations in our lives. In these times, we find ourselves asking, okay, what is happening? Why is this happening? God, where did you go? Why am I going through this? Or we just want to get through it, but here's a very sober reality. This is it. I know you because I know me. I'm made of what you're made of. This is the truth. Many believers never become desperate for God without desperate situations. Is that not true? In this age of Laodicea, most Laodiceans don't wake up in the morning and have Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 as their spiritual reality, where they have this thirst, this great appetite for God. Just not on their own. It usually requires desperate situations. If we're honest, in these situations, our prayer life is more frequent and intense. In these situations, our appetite for entertainment and the temporal pleasures of this world, it dissipates, does it not? Our meditation on God's Word and His promises are, it becomes very strong, doesn't it? 
I know when I find myself here, I can tell God many of the promises that he's told me. (laughs) And I don't mean that as a twisting God's arm or anything like that to say, well, hey, you said this, so you better. No, 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 no. Hey, God, this is what your word says, and Lord, I am hanging on to that. I believe it. I must believe it. Our focus as a fellowship this year is to go deeper. We want to go deeper with God. But listen, desperate situations are not an invitation to become bitter with God. They are an invitation to go deeper with Him. See, this is one of the issues that we have in Laodicea in that and it's, it's interesting, and I, listen, I am going to throw myself under the bus here because, once again, I am as human as the people that I'm speaking to. But if there's one thing about my flesh I have learned, and that is <laughs> when it is uncomfortable and when, when it is put under great pressure and pain, it will betray God in the blink of an eye. It will turn on God. Listen, here's one thing I've learned about man, okay? One of the things I've learned about humanity is that pain and suffering is man's ultimate deal breaker with God. Was this not the case with Job's wife? Job's wife was totally fine. Ten kids, an abundance of wealth, a comfortable life. Everything was as smooth as it could be. Life was comfortable. Life was great. But the minute God allowed the script to be flipped, and just curse God and die. I'm just telling you, that's my flesh. That's your flesh. The moment God allows some dark, greedy trial to come in and wreak havoc and claim loss, well, God, you're not who I thought you were. I mean, if you are so great and so grand, can you explain this? Explain yourself to me. And then once you do, if that's to my satisfaction, then I'll continue with you. Mm. No, that's bitterness. No, God says, this is an invitation for you to go deeper with me. Not become bitter. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? We know that at this time, dispensationally, the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle. And so when the psalmist says, when shall I appear before God? It was going to the tabernacle, put him in the direct presence of God. Desperate situations should provoke, listen, an appetite to be in God's house. Now, I understand dispensationally that the church is not a building. I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. But God's people do gather weekly. 
on Sundays and Tuesdays here. And where do we gather? We do gather in a building. We do. And where two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, where is he? In the midst of them. Okay? That's why, as a believer, you never want to minimize or take lightly the gatherings of God's people. It's important. It's critical. Jesus is there. He is present in those gatherings. How much more so when you are in a desperate situation? Listen, abstaining from church only makes a desperate situation more desperate. Here's one of the things I've learned. Um, believers who are spiritually immature, when they go through a really, really rough time, you know what they'll do? They will pull back. They will abstain from church. Why? Because they're making a statement to God. It's a silent protest. So I'm going to show you. I'm going to punish you. You're not punishing God. You're just making your situation worse. That's very immature, by the way. Very immature. <laughs> Verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. So when the psalmist remembered their reproach and attack from his enemies, he poured out his soul. That is, he spilled his heart out to God. I love it. Now, I get it. The psalmist didn't have uh, WhatsApp, or he didn't have email, he didn't have a cell phone. But he did have people he could have talked to, but he poured out his heart to God. See, here's something that I've learned. I, listen, I get it. I, I, I understand my role. I understand uh, as much as Mike does and any other leader or anything like that. But when life goes pitch black, what I've learned is, and I've been in situations where I understand I need to be there, and I want to be there, but here's what I've learned. There are some situations when we're talking about these situations where I have entered the room, where I have entered the situation, and people are looking at me like, do something. <laughs> yeah, let's pray. That's what I can do. I I'm not Superman. I, I, I don't have these special powers where I'm going to come in and I've got some secret verse that I'm going to just say it, and all of a sudden there's going to be calm, peace, and everything is just put back together. No, actually, what this situation is about is God is inviting you to go deeper with him, and part of that is you've got to pour your soul out to him. I mean, yeah, you may be comforted by my presence, but ultimately, you've got to talk to him. I, I can't fix this. Desperate situations provoke sincere and fervent prayer. Sincere and fervent prayer. These situations move us beyond the mundane, lifeless, and meaningless prayers that often express our prayer life. They're just flat, 
oh, you just, this is what you say. Oh, no, no, no. When you're in these situations, your prayer life is razor sharp. It is laser focused. You consider every word. You're not watching the clock. You're not bored. You're not finding it hard to pray for 30 minutes. In these times, we pray like we desperately need God to hear and answer us. My God, I am, I'm desperate. I, Lord, please, I need you to hear me, please. In Psalm 17, 1, hear the rights, O Lord, attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. David needed God to hear him, and he says, I'm not praying with feigned lips. In other words, God, there is nothing deceitful, there is nothing shallow, there is nothing carnal about this, God. I am pouring my soul out to you. See, we don't really pray like this unless we're in these situations, do we? I can't say everybody, but I think a lot of people just, you don't have this kind of relationship with God unless you're in the furnace of a trial. Listen, our prayer life is often the purest in desperate situations. At least that's what I found. I, I really believe, I, I, and there have been times when I've been here and, and my sense has been, you know, God, as hard as this is and as tempted as I am to just get on the other side of it, I have to confess, I love being this close to you. I love being this close to you. Because I know me, and I know that the moment things get better, the moment things get more comfortable, the moment I feel better, I will be tempted greatly to just resume my Laodicean way of praying. Verse 4. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. We're not exactly told which day is in view here. What we do know is with fondness he thought about the believers that he had gathered with and had worshipped with. Listen, desperate situations should provoke a longing to be with God's people. They should. They should. Listen, I have seen this movie a few times now in my Christian life. You probably have seen it too. Let me tell you one of the worst decisions that believers make in hard seasons. You know what it is? To withdraw from God's people. You're going through a really dark time. You're going through a hard time. So what's your answer? I'm going to withdraw from the house of God and I'm going to withdraw from God's people. And somehow that's going to make everything better. So I want to send a message to God. I'm disappointed. I don't like this. And I'm going to punish his people as well. I'm going to blame them too. You know what I'm going to blame them for? How dare you believe in this God? How
How dare you be faithful? How dare you worship? Do you know what he did to me? And so if you are for that God who is clearly against me, I'm against you now. Oh, my goodness. You don't get it. You don't get it. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. One of the ways that God provides comfort and edification during these times, you know how he does that? One of the ways that he does it? The people in this room. The people in this room who come alongside you and say, hey, for the glory of God and for your edification, let me help you carry this. And some refuse and say, you know what, I'm just going to camp out in my basement and pout. Not wise. Verse 5, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I love it. Verse 6, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Verse 8, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. And in verse 9, he says that God is his rock. The psalmist was in a desperate situation, but he was not spiritually blind. He saw a reason to praise and remember God, and he praised or gave thanks for the help of God's countenance. He's talking about the face of God. The face of God. Despite the situation, he knew that God saw him and that God was with him. And this is what we're going to look at in Psalm 23, right? He's with me. The land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and the hill of Mizar was not close to the tabernacle in Jerusalem. But he says, even though I'm far from that, even though I know that's where your presence is, I'm remembering you. I haven't forgotten you, God. Desperate situations provoke thankfulness to God for his goodness. You've got to remember, let me tell you one of the hardest conversations I ever had. It's been years ago. One of the hardest, I do mean one of the hardest conversations I've ever had. I had with a man who was a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and this is just very interesting how people think and how they go about things. And I was, I was trying to manage my emotions because I was so put off by his selfishness, his immaturity, and his outright pride. He had made some very horrible decisions in his life. He had made decisions that were clearly contrary to the Word of God, and God had allowed him to experience the consequences of his horrific choices, and he had the carnal, prideful audacity to question the goodness of God. <sighs> Wait a minute, let me get this right. So you believe that you should be able to just disregard God's word, disobey God's word, go make foolish decisions, and somehow you think God should bless you in that? 
And so you're sitting here trying to tell me that you don't believe God is good? What? I mean, this is how people, I mean, this is the degree that pride can take you. That's like a child saying, you know what, I want you to turn the stove up on high, and I want to be able to take my hand and place it right on the stove and not be burned. (sighs) Come on. Come on. God is good. And the psalmist believed that God would command his loving kindness in the daytime, and at night he would praise and pray to God for his goodness. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 46 in your notes. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Say, law, listen. The ultimate necessity in a desperate situation is God's presence. It's what you need. And that's all you need. You're in a desperate situation. What you have to have is not that it gets better or the circumstances change or it gets more comfortable. No, 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 no. What I have to have, who I have to have, I've got to have his count. I've got to have his face. I've got to have God with me. This is why the Apostle Paul could pen the book of Philippians as a prisoner at Rome and talk about, of all things, joy. Because God was with him. That's it. God has taught me I can and I will endure anything if I'm walking with him. He's with me and I'm with him. I'll be fine. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Um, I do believe that your Holy Spirit has spoken to us because your word was opened. God, let us not just be hearers, but doers of what we heard. God, there is a response that you are ordering from all of us. And, and I do pray, God, that it would be appropriate in light of what we have just looked at from Psalm 42. In Jesus' name, amen.